Lynn Marchisolt is 2,964 miles away from home, driving a pickup truck on a frozen highway in the middle of a blizzard. I couldn't even see the road. Like, I couldn't see anything in front of me, like, barely, barely five feet, maybe. I mean, it was a very, very heavy snowfall. It, it was scary. Like, you couldn't tell what was your lane, what was the oncoming traffic's lane, what was the side of the road. With her in the cab are her two kids, aged 10 and 13. Everything she owns is in the bed of the truck or loaded onto the 20-foot, two-axle trailer she's pulling behind her. I needed a little bit more momentum to get up the hills, but I didn't have it. I'm like accelerating, my tires are spinning, the trailer's pulling me backwards. I don't want to, you know, wind up off a cliff somewhere with my children in the vehicle. I'm Tora Kutcher, and this is Tell Me What Happened. True stories of people helping people, and specifically strangers helping people in difficult situations. This show was created by OnStar to help spread the word about how important human connections really are. Tacoa, Georgia is about two hours outside of Atlanta. It's one of those perfect southern towns where people know their neighbors and where sitting on your porch and complaining about the heat is a nightly ritual. Lynn Marchisolt is sad to leave it, but it's not a new feeling. Her husband, Tim, is a staff sergeant in the U.S. Army, and moving frequently is just part of the deal. We've moved a lot. We've been to at least six or seven duty stations already in like 14 years. This time, though, it's different. Tim has been redeployed to Alaska. The sudden change in climate is not the only thing making this move different from previous ones. Tim is already up north, and because of restrictions from the COVID-19 pandemic, he can't fly back and join the family for the drive. We had to make the trip by ourselves, unfortunately. (laughs) On November 9th, Lynn closes the door on the 20-foot U-Haul and checks the hitch. Her two kids, Peyton and Rebecca, climb in the cab and plug in their devices. Lastly, their two dogs and their cat named Midnight jump up on their laps and settle in for the drive. The route is straightforward, northwest through Nashville, St. Louis, and Kansas City. From North Dakota, you cross into Canada. There, it's prairies, forests, and mountains, until you eventually enter Alaska. Tim will drive down from his military base and meet them at the border. So the trip was four days. Of course, I was pulling a trailer and I had children and pets with me and I'm the only driver. So I knew that it was going to probably at least take roughly six to seven days. On her first day of traveling, the weather isn't cooperating. It was actually downpouring. I wasn't really wanting to start the trip out with bad weather. (laughs) And then it just seems like it just progressed as I went. But it's November, and she's headed north. So when she thinks about bad weather, rain is the least of her worries. It's the third day of her trip. She's reached the Canadian border. The display on her dashboard reads 19 degrees Fahrenheit. She can see her breath as she rolls down her window for the border guard. 
and they weren't allowing visitors to the country. Like you couldn't just come in and, and travel Canada and, and sightsee. Lynn is making this move, you understand, with all her worldly possessions, two kids and three pets, in the middle of a pandemic. We were given um, five days to get through. So it was basically that timeline that they gave you was to make sure that you're not going off and just, you know, having a good time when you're not supposed to be. Nothing is normal. They can only stop for gas, takeout, and motel rooms. The guard hands her back her passport, looks her in the eyes, and repeats, only five days, no more than that, then waves her through. The first town that I came to, that I drove through, was Regina um, in Saskatchewan. They had a fairly decent amount of snow that night. Um, it was a little bit of an eye-opener to me. I was kind of like, I feel like it's going to get worse the farther I go. Like, what did I get myself into? She's exhausted, and it's after 11 at night when she finally finds a hotel room. I'm unloading the kids. We've got to unload the animals. We have to walk them. The kids need fed. The dogs need fed. By the time I'm asleep, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Even so, she's back on the road at 8. She covers about 180 miles before lunch. A fresh tank of gas, a pee break for the kids and the dogs, some takeout sandwiches from a gas station, then back on the road. She laughs when she thinks about what the border guard told her. No sightseeing. She has definitely not seen any sights. Just a dashed line down the middle of the highway and ribbons of snow blowing across it. Five hours later than she expected, she makes it to Edmonton. That was an even bigger eye-opening than Regina because they had snow piles the size of the buildings. I was like, just in awe at how big the snow piles were. I don't think I've ever seen snow piles that big. A quick chat with the woman at the front desk of the hotel confirms for Lynn that luck is not on her side. So I was like, there's like a lot of snow here. I didn't expect there to be so much snow. And she was telling me, um, she was like, yeah, this is the biggest snowstorm we've had since um, 2007. Perfect timing for me. <laughs> like, great job, me. <laughs> Pick the greatest time to travel. Lynn grew up in the South. Over the last 15 years, her husband has been stationed in Texas, Florida, and even South Korea. Most of our duty stations have always been in the South. We've never been stationed in the North and never have driven really in the snow. But here she is, not just driving in snow, driving in snow in a foreign country with the border agent's clock ticking away in her head. Then... My windshield wipers quit working. They were still moving, but she was out of fluid. All that slush was being thrown up onto the window. I couldn't see, but then when the windshield wipers would go over it, it would just smudge it and make it worse. She stops and wipes the windshield clear with her scarf. That works for a few miles, but not long enough. She rolls down her window and reaches around with her left arm to clear the snow while she's driving, but her arm doesn't reach. Every four or five minutes, she pulls over on the snow-covered shoulder, praying she doesn't get stuck. She gets out, wipes the window, gets back in and drives on. It takes an hour and a half to cover the 25 miles to the next gas station. 
um, I called my husband and I was like crying and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, is there a way that we can fly out from here? In a different time, maybe. But the COVID travel restrictions are very clear. We have to enter here and leave here. We are not allowed to use the airports or anything. At the gas station, a teenager tops up her windshield fluid and sells her a couple extra bottles. He gives Lynn a smile and says, drive safe, and walks away. Sitting in the driver's seat, parked at a small gas station in a town she doesn't even know the name of, Lynn closes her eyes, takes several deep breaths, and pulls herself together. And I was like, no, like, it's fine. Like, I was, I was, that's me. Like, I like to think I can do everything, take on the world. And so I'm like, no, you know, it's fine. Like, everything's fine. Like, I can do this. This is Tell Me What Happened, a podcast created by OnStar to showcase how important a human connection is when you need help. Whether you are three miles from home or 3,000, Lynn and her family continue their journey through the frozen landscape of northern Canada. The roads remain snowy, but she can see. That night, they sleep in another motel. Then the next day, they're back on the road. The motels, the cold gray highway, the gas station sandwiches, everything blurs together. But today, for a change, the sky is blue and the roads are clear. She's actually making good time. Around midday, they stop in the town of Dawson Creek. The kids needed to go to the restroom, so I just pulled into a gas station just to let them go to the restroom. And it was starting to snow, so I was just like, hurry up so we can get back on the road. At first, the flakes are beautiful, large and pretty and falling slowly. It's like a Christmas card. Those images always seemed out of place during her childhood Christmases in Georgia. But here she was, living it for real. For the first time, she takes a moment to appreciate how beautiful this rugged landscape is. But with every mile she drives, there's more and more snow. Soon the greeting card scenery is replaced by a wall of white. And the snow was so heavy, like I couldn't even see the road. Like I couldn't see anything in front of me, like barely, barely five feet maybe. It was a complete whiteout conditions. Lynn struggles to keep driving. She doesn't know what else she can do. I drove into the snowstorm blindly. It was scary, like you couldn't tell what was your lane, what was the oncoming traffic's lane, what was the side of the road. For an hour and a half, Lynn struggles to keep her truck on the road. The wind is blowing sideways. The trailer catches it like a sail. At this point, I'm crying again. I'm driving and I'm like crying. And my son, like he's in the passenger seat and he's like rubbing my arm. He's like, it's okay, mom. Like you're a great driver. You've got this, you can do this. But it's not just the weather. The terrain has changed too. Big ups and down, like inclines, decline. Like I'm talking like eight and 9% grades. So yeah, they were pretty steep. There was a few times where I did almost lose control and slide off the road. She slows down, but this creates a new problem. I needed a little bit more momentum to get up the hills, but I didn't have it because I was going so slow. My tires are spinning, the trailer's pulling me backwards. I don't want to hurt my kids. I don't want to, you know, wind up off a cliff somewhere with my children in the vehicle. She stops the truck. 
I couldn't see if cars were coming from either direction, even behind me. It's a brand new vehicle for her. She has to fumble around to find how to engage the four-wheel drive. Once she does, she puts it in gear and starts creeping forward. With the added traction, the truck crawls up the snow-covered hill. She keeps driving. Every mile, she's convinced that they'll be in a ditch or a crash. Then from the top of a hill, she sees a truck stop. She pulls in, safe. But Lynn has reached her limit. At this point, I'm like just bawling my eyes out, like the tears are full force. And a woman comes out and she saw me and she started talking to me. Um, Her name is Tina. So I'm telling her the whole thing. And she's like, where did you say you came from? And I was like, outside of Atlanta. And she's like, you probably don't even have proper tires on your vehicle. Tina inspects the tires on Lynn's truck. She's like, honey, these are summer tires. The farther north you go, it's going to be worse than here. And so I'm like freaking out. She's like, you cannot be on this road anymore today. If you were to go on this road any longer, something bad would happen to you guys. But she can't stay here. She can't spend the night in a pickup with two kids parked at a gas station in the snow. Thankfully, Tina has a plan. She hops in her own truck and drives slowly back onto the highway. Lynn follows, using Tina's taillights as a guide, until they reach a motel. The Buffalo Inn, in the town of Pink Mountain, population 100. It was dark already. There's no streetlights. The snow hadn't died down the whole time. I was kind of at a crossroads of continue trying to make this drive. While Lynn is holed up in a tiny hotel room, feeding her kids, looking after the animals, and trying to figure out her next move, Tina is online. She had shared the story on her personal page, and um, a veteran that she knows who lives in Alberta had seen it. She shared it, and then um, another veteran saw it. Everyone's following the story now. And that includes a Canadian ranger named Gary Bath. I happened to see a post about uh, a lady asking for help for someone to drive her and her family up to Alaska. Gary's more than a little impressed by what Lynn's managed to achieve. The fact that she got all the way to Pink Mountain is crazy. With her never having driven in snow at all before, and then finding out she was driving on summer tires, I'm surprised she made it as far as she did. The more Gary hears, the more he wants to help. Nobody was able to go do the whole trip. They were you know, saying things like, I wish I could help. But nobody had really said that they could drive Lynn anywhere. So I talked to my wife. And he told his wife, he said, I really feel like I need to do this. Like, I want to do this. And his wife was like, then what are you still doing here? Make it happen. The next day, as the snow covers Pink Mountain, Gary, Lynn, and even her husband, Tim, meet over FaceTime. He video chatted with my husband. He video chatted with me. Like, I just knew in my heart that I was making the right choice and that they were good people and that they were going to take care of us and get us where we needed to be safely. On Monday, Lynn buys a new set of winter tires. And on Tuesday, the cab of her truck has a new occupant. It was a little bit crowded in the truck, but not too bad. Alaska is still a thousand miles away, two full days of driving. 
but with good tires and an experienced driver, they're able to enjoy the view. We saw coyotes, wolves. We had a, a fox come right up to the truck. And I'm pretty sure if we had a sandwich or something, it would have eaten it right out of our hand. Buffalo everywhere, elk, deer. It's crazy. If you've never been here, you need to come see it. On November 20th, just a few days before Thanksgiving, they reach the Canada-U.S. border. They can see Lynn's husband, Tim, standing on the other side, happy and relieved. Drove 20 feet across, then Tim came over, said our highs, quick goodbye, got a quick picture, and uh, Lynn and Tim went the rest of the way. I was like really thankful, super, super grateful. Like I was just repeatedly like over and over, like thanking them, like expressing so much gratitude. I, I don't know what I would have done, but I would probably just still, I might still be there crying on the side of the road right now. The only thing left was for Gary, now without a vehicle, to get home. Well, some of those people online who said, I wish I could help, stepped up. There was three people that donated money we put all of it towards the plane ticket for me to get home. It's just another example of strangers helping strangers. This is Tell Me What Happened, an original podcast by OnStar. Every episode has a story about someone who finds themselves needing help. OnStar has been helping people for 25 years. So with that in mind, I want to help you by making another human connection. I'm going to bring in Wes Eyrick. He's a winter driving expert and a lead instructor at Road America. His job is to make sure people can get where they're going, even when snow and ice make it difficult. What he teaches people is that everything starts where the rubber meets the road. So uh, a big part of winter driving is assessing the road conditions in driving at or below the level of grip. So what are the kind of suggestions you have for navigating the most difficult types of black ice and snow drifts, the kinds of things that we really white knuckle through? One of the things I like to teach about uh, black ice is that you're not going to be able to see it. That's kind of the idea of black ice. So we need to be looking for other things that indicate whether we're driving on ice. First, you're going to listen to water splashing in that wheel well, and it's very subtle, but you can hear it. So we're going to turn down that radio. We're going to ask people to be quiet and be 100% focused and hear that water splashing in the wheel well. When we don't hear that anymore, it goes eerily silent and we're driving on ice. The other thing that we can watch for is if there's other traffic on the road, we can watch water spray off their tires. And as soon as that goes away and we just see their tires, no spray, they're on ice, we're on ice, we need to be slowing down and adjusting our speeds. And what about those snow drifts? One of the things that's, that I always have trouble with in winter driving is the in-between the lanes. You need to change lanes and you get caught kind of trying to cross, especially in highway conditions. Do you cross that lane more aggressively and just kind of cut across and get it over with? Or do you just kind of cross it normally and, and, and just make your way across? Neither. We're going to cross it very slowly and gradually, trying to keep that wheel as straight as possible in front of us as we're moving lanes. So Lynn, in our story, she faced winter conditions, mountainous roads. So now how do we adjust our driving habits? 
So uh, we need to understand the momentum of the vehicle. We want to conserve the momentum as much as possible. So especially in deeper snow, we need to keep on that throttle and just keep the speed up, especially going uphill, because that's where you're going to get stuck. And if we get stuck going uphill, we're not going to get started again. Going down the hills, we need to really control our speeds and make sure we keep the speeds to a minimum so that we don't uh, lose the ability to slow down anymore and lose control. One of the things my dad always taught me as I learned on a stick was to gear down. How do you do that in automatic? Do you still do that? Is that still something that we are supposed to do? Yep. Uh, You can do that in an automatic. You can go into a a low gear or a manual mode where you can choose which gear you're in and you can go to a lower gear. Um, That would help you uh, at times where maybe you need a little bit more oomph to get the car going. But especially if you're in a manual car, it's actually better to go up a gear. Uh, Going up a gear reduces the torque. And especially if you have difficulties with the rear wheel spinning or any of the wheels spinning, going up a gear can help. So actually, I would recommend going up a gear, not down. Now, tires make a difference. What's the difference? I've always wanted to know this between all season and winter tires huge difference. Um, There's three main differences between what you're going to get as far as grip out of an all-season tire versus a winter tire. The first is the tread depth. Winter tires have good tread depth, and the tread depth is really important when you're going through that light, fluffy snow. It helps kind of, you know, grip into that and provide traction. Uh, Then you have what's called sipes. They're the little lines through the zigzag lines through the tire. Those are specifically designed to deal with the icy conditions and help grip the ice. Those, you don't get many of those in all season tires. So that's a big player. The third is the rubber compound. The rubber compound of the tire is much, much softer on that winter tire and helps it make sure that it's pliable at those cold temperatures and gives you that increased grip. So all three of those factors help make sure that you're going to get much better grip and control and safety out of those winter tires than you would in all season. How much should we trust the technology when we talk about ABS, four-wheel drive, winter tires? I mean, those all help, but we're still behind the wheel, right? Yep. The technology all helps. Um, You have to be like a a pinnacle racing driver in order to beat the technology. For the average driver, we want all the electronic aids we we can get. The ABS helps. The traction control helps. The stability control. And even the winter driving modes that most cars have nowadays can make a big difference in your winter driving and making sure that you can stay in control of your vehicle. Now, this is a question that I have experienced the full spin out on a main highway, hitting the ditch, did the full donut. Now, do you steer into your back end going out? Do you try and counterbalance the the turn or do you just stay straight? So when you're in a skid, we need to try to get out of that the best we can. And we're going to do it with a method called uh, CPR, correct, pause, recover. And so what that means is as the car steps out, we're going to correct or steer into the slide. Eventually, that rotation of the slide will come to a stop and we'll be sliding sideways. That's our pause. And that pause is supposed to tell us that the car is going to straighten out. When the car straightens out, we need to get that wheel straight in front of us so that we don't fly off in the other direction. So correct, pause, recover will get us out of any oversteer condition. 
But the most important part is that we look where we want to go. Our vision's very important and our eyes will tell our hands where to go. So even though we might be sliding sideways, we still need to look where we want to go and our our hands will get there. Now, for a lot of people listening, they have never experienced winter driving conditions. So what are the kinds of things that you need in your car? How do you prep your vehicle? Say you want to go to Alaska for that wonderful once-in-a-lifetime trip to see the bald eagles. How do you prep? The first thing that we want to do is making sure that all the maintenance is done on our vehicle that we don't have any known issues that we haven't taken care of all summer long. We get all those fixed. We want to make sure that we have good tires, uh, that um, our battery has been checked. Uh, Winter is really taxing on our batteries. Batteries only have about a five-year lifespan, so we need to make sure that we're we're good to go there. Um, And also making sure that we have a survival kit. We want to make sure that we have supplies in case we do get stuck so that you know we're not in a dire situation. What are those survival things? What goes into that survival kit? A spare cell phone, maybe uh, some way to charge our cell phone if the battery were to die. We want a collapsible shovel, blankets, heavy-duty mittens, boots, maybe some food, energy bar, water, and a flashlight. Also, a first aid kit would be really helpful. So what happens if you get stranded, you hit the ditch, you can't get out, you're immobilizing winter weather, what happens? The best thing that we can do is stay in our vehicle, Uh, especially right after we get stuck. We don't know if other vehicles are going to be coming in behind us and might hit us. And so getting out of the vehicle is very dangerous. We want to make sure we're in the vehicle where we're safe, as safe as possible. If we're going to be there for any extended period of time, uh, we want to make sure that we try to stay as warm as possible. We can turn on a light in the interior um, to so that people can see us, see that we're there, uh, but otherwise try to conserve energy as much as possible. You can run the vehicle about 15 minutes every hour uh, just to keep warm as needed, and that should be able to get you through a night turning the vehicle on and off um, and just wait for help. Wes, thank you so much. No problem. That's it for this episode of OnStar's Tell Me What Happened. True stories of people helping people. If you'd like to read more stories like this one, or if you want to see a map of Lynn's incredible odyssey from Tokoa to Pink Mountain and finally to the Alaska border, there's a link in the show notes to take you to our website. Or you can go straight to OnStar.com and share your favorite story about a time that someone helped you. We'd love to hear it. You can follow us on whatever app you're using, and you'll be the first to know when a new episode is released. On behalf of OnStar, I'm Tora Couture, and please be safe out there. <laughs>